0: Mariner Monday. Yes, I know it's Tuesday or uh, whenever you're listening to this, but this is a new series on the Boyd Beats World podcast featuring my good friend and M's enthusiast Phil Smeraldo. Phil really brought the heat last time he was on, and so I gave him regular airwaves so the public gets a chance to hear his uh, his Mariners wisdom. We'll record these on Monday nights and release them on Tuesdays throughout the season. We'll see how that goes. It's a pretty ambitious goal, but we're pretty stoked about it, and uh, we're off to a good start here with the first episode. We'll talk about uh, the M's through spring training so far, uh, some kind of the bigger picture things going on in baseball, as well as the future with the M's, and uh, I uh, I'm excited about it. So thanks for listening and enjoy it. Phil, we are very very old. You know how I know we're old. How's that? You texted me saying that we had to start this a little bit later because you were running errands and I didn't even think to make fun of you for one second
1: for saying that we were running errands. Yeah, I mean, I had to put in my laundry. I had to wash the dishes. Um, it was a very exciting day for me. I had to go get uh, beat by Quinn on the basketball court, like I was just telling you.
0: That's that's not an errand. That's just uh, masochism, I think.
1: Yeah, that was self-punishment. But that, that could be an errand for me every day, a little yeah. self-punishment. Yeah,
0: it makes makes the body strong, I think.
1: That's why that's why we like the Mariners, right? That's you like <laughs> way to get your self-punishment.
0: Excellent uh, tie-in there, yeah. Uh, we we did this about a month ago, talking just general. I think we were about halfway through the M's off season. Uh, since then, a couple a couple things have changed, but just wanted to let you know uh, that the best feedback I've ever gotten on a podcast uh, was when you came on, and it was all about how good you were. So, uh,
1: oh wow, that is that is incredibly surprising you, because I I left the last podcast thinking you know, and I texted you something to the effect of like, do you think I was using too much like. Uh, Sabre stuff and people were just kind of kind of tune it out and all that kind of stuff But i'm glad that people seem to like enjoy that brand of like enjoying baseball like
0: we do No, and as your agent, I said darling they loved you And (laughs) and I was I was dead serious. My dad loved you. Jensen was like damn I was kind of pissed off about how good phil was Um, So yeah, that was uh, that was good and and I think this is a good time to announce that Uh, we are going to to try and make this a weekly thing throughout the m M season uh, which, as I say that out loud, is kind of uh, a, a large order. Uh, but we're going to make Mariners Mondays a thing, and I'm excited.
1: Yeah, it. it seems daunting, but honestly, we were talking about it. There's so much content in baseball, and that's why I like baseball is because it, it – it, it, has a lot of dead air around it yeah there's not it's not always something going on so you really have time to think and meditate on the season and it's not like basketball where you have to just go oh this happened then you know anthony davis and this and that or whatever it's more of like a meditative sport
0: yeah basketball it's it's kind of you you have those days in between games that you can kind of fill up with like narrative space but baseball is all nitty-gritty like there's no time for narrative stuff it's all very much like granular and especially when when we were talking last time of this will be the first year, at least for me, that I'm super clued in on on minor league baseball because of how how the much transactions. That, exactly mm-hmm. how much that matters to the M's uh, future success at this current juncture. So that's exciting. We've got uh we've got some segments doled out for for how this will work. We're gonna try some stuff out. Have some have some ideas for this, but uh but yeah, what you know, there's tons of time here, so we'll figure a lot of things out as we go along. But the first thing we'll start off with is this segment. Uh, Three up, three down. Just a a good old-fashioned baseball analogy there, or baseball saying, uh, parlance. Uh, In this segment, we will just discuss three key topics, what are the three big storylines that we want to discuss of the week. Uh, The first one that we'll talk about this week is the potential for some career revivals, especially for uh, Mariners, D Gordon and Kyle Seeger, who both had tough seasons, especially in the second half last year. Uh, What say you about the chances for those guys to really rebound this year.
1: So with D and Kyle, both of them are kind of um, sewn together with the common thread that they were both. And I know this is going to sound like a cliche, but a lot, both those guys were playing through injuries last year. And I think that does hamper performance at least somewhat, whether that could be sort of a, a cop-out. I don't know. I mean, D Gordon breaking his toe, isn't the reason that he walks nine total times (laughs) last year that, that, that that's, I mean, that's too much to walk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's that maybe that's it but that's just something that he's going to have to get better at that's outside of the uh purview of an injury but in a sense I suppose you could say um you know when he's starting to hit the ball better he's going to get more more pitches to hit and then uh you know or he's going to get fewer pitches to hit and then he can exercise more plate patience and maybe that'll lead to a higher on base percentage because of uh because he's not just getting everything right down the middle of the zone because he can't hit the ball mm-hmm. so who knows with him i think he looks better this spring i mean he's been definitely i think they they do this thing called stat cast where they uh measure the player's top speed running to first base running to second base running to third base and i think he's been grading out a little bit higher than he was last year and that was even pre-injury so hmm. all signs are looking like he's back into um into uh, a more healthy um playing body and he has been taking a few more walks this year already in the spring which is I mean spring training stats everything I'm going to say about spring <laughs> should come with the qualifier that spring training stats translate very 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 loosely to sure. the uh, actual season so take everything that you see in the spring with a grain of salt but it is an encouraging development that he looks like he's starting to take more pitches and he's doing considerable more considerable damage with the pitches that he is swinging at yeah uh, as for as for Seager, um, I would say that the most startling thing I've seen in a long time with the Mariners was his weight loss. And I know you texted me about that, but he looks like a different person, doesn't he?
0: He looks hot. I'll say it. Uh, He's got
1: a nice, defined jawline now. <laughs> yeah, every,
0: you know? every baseball writer in Seattle has kind of danced around the topic of like, wow, uh, Kyle, Kyle looks good. Uh, They're cowards. They're, yeah, they, they are can't cowards. Say it. And just, that's just, why we
1: that's why we do this podcast to just break, say, break the
0: truth. Say the words. Kyle Seeger looks hot. It's it's fine. He's a he's a good looking guy. He's he kind of went from like almost a butterball type, right, with the twenty five extra pounds. Oh, the, totally. The whole ball things going on. Uh but uh, you know, minus the twenty five, he – Looking svelte, and it's you know it, we we're talking about just kind of that general idea of it doesn't matter, you know, the, the, uh, spring training and uh, NFL camps of guys are showing up in their best best shape of their life or whatever. Usually doesn't matter a whole lot, but it beats the hell out of the alternative of this guy looks like shit and right. And, and
1: I mean, there, there, it does beat the alternative. You, I mean, I it wasn't so long ago that Jesus Montero came into pa, uh, Camp weighing two fifty, I think, and everyone was just saying, "Oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry." And, throwing and then it turned out there really out. was something to worry about there.
0: Right, right. And so, so with Seeger and with Gordon, both of what we're talking about is they are changing their game in response to a glaring hole in their game, which I think is is a good sign. Uh, Gordon, as you talked about the 288 on base percentage last year, is just unacceptable. Um, but I do think that there's, especially
1: some... for a guy like D Gordon, whose only asset yes. to a team is being on base, right? He doesn't hit for any power. He needs to be on base so he can steal bases, cause havoc on the base pass, do all that kind of stuff. If he's not on the base pass, he is worthless to the team.
0: Yeah. And I think that there is something to be said of, of baseball players and people in general of when you're trying to make them better at a lot of things at once, it doesn't usually work very well. So with Gordon last year, his success, you know, his relative success came at the beginning of the season when he was, you know, just trying to embrace a new philosophy. But then halfway through the season when he goes, uh, you know, and now he's playing in center field um, and coming back and the the different things that were going on, I'm sure that made it difficult to focus on all of those at once. Um, and, and so this year when it's just about playing second base, natural position, and then, uh, worrying about getting on base, I feel like it's going to go better for him.
1: I, 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 absolutely. And it's kind of like something you we were mentioning the other day outside of this podcast. You sent me that article. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later, but with mm-hmm. Kyle Seeger saying, you know, two years ago, three years ago, it was all about get the ball on the ground. You hit the ball in the air, it's, an, it's basically an out. Try and get the ball on the ground. Try and get the ball on the ground. And then now all of a sudden it's, well, no, you need to get the ball in the air. You need to hit home runs. Balls on the ground are are um basically out so like the thinking of modern baseball thinking has been really frenetic in the last mm-hmm. i don't know five ten years with the analytical revolution and i think that's starting to frustrate players because every year they come to camp and the uh hitting coaches or the managers or even the gms in the analytics department are all telling them well you need to retool your swing to do this and you need to retool your swing to do that and sure. there's never really been a consistent year-to-year theme
0: Right. And I think that'll pay off um, with some more stability. And I think that everyone kind of uh, can appreciate that sentiment of let's really distill this. And I feel like the M's have a good idea of what they want their hitters to be doing. Um, But as it pertains to Seager, it's especially frustrating for him. I was looking back. First of all, Baseball Savant is a wonderful website. Uh, Oh, yeah. They uh, they have numbers about the amount of shifting that happens per player. Uh, Kyle Seeger was the fifth most shifted against player in baseball last year, uh, the 11th most in 2017 and the 45th in 2016. So he's really seen the shift uh, eat him up more and more as the shift has become a more pervasive element in baseball. Um, last year, he only went 182 plate, plate appearances without seeing a shift. The year before was 288. Um, so, you know, if, if, from my perspective, that's that's the big thing with him. It's, it's how can he attack that shift? And for him to come in where he's still being paid very handsomely for the next three years and to change his approach, to change his body in a way to respond to that, I think is awesome and it shows that he really cares about changing this and still salvaging a productive career.
1: Absolutely. And I'll say two things about the shift. The most important thing about the shift that I think goes really under the radar when it comes to guys who get shifted as much as Kyle Seeger do is the importance of the lineup that's around them. Mm-hmm. It's harder to shift when you have a guy on second base or you have a guy on first base. The team can't shift you as much as they would want to right. because they have to worry about the base runners you know, take, swiping bags. So when you have guys like Kyle Seeger in your lineup, it just makes – or uh, the most uh, pertinent example of this is Joey Gallo with the Texas Rangers who gets shifted. I mean, you can look at, like, uh, screenshots of his at-bats. There is literally – when no one's on base, there is not a single person – on the left side of the field it's Mm -hmm. just but when there are uh guys on first or second they can't shift you as much and that's gonna ultimately help your overall um chances to get a base hit even if you do pull the ball because players aren't gonna be able to just see the you know know exactly where you're gonna hit it second thing about the shift is that with this launch angle revolution that everyone's you know doing and trying to put the ball in the air more that was a direct response to the shift is because, okay, now they're going to put four infielders on the right side of the infield. Well, I'm just going to have to hit it over their head. But what seeger has been trying to do now is focus more on a line drive swing where he can hit it to the left side of the field, <coughs> excuse me, where he can hit it to the left side of the field and, you know, get maybe sacrifice a little power, but then his on base percentage will, will take an uptick as a response to that. So there's a lot of different ways to combat the shift, but those are the two things that I see that the Mariners probably need to focus on with Seeger if they want him to continue to have even a, marginally productive career going forward because right now the shift is on the verge of killing his career
0: well said uh one guy who you know we talk about how how Kyle Seeger has really attacked the uh the fitness element of his of his game and at least try to control that part uh one guy who has seemingly not done that is Mr. Felix Hernandez who yeah I think for the first year in like four or five years of us maybe talking about the the M's before the year uh we're no longer dumb enough to say well if Felix really turns it around this year uh, that'll that'll be the the hinge point of this season. I think we're past that. Uh, oh yeah. Wh- like, are we? De- what's your uh, zero to one hundred lost causometer on on Felix?
1: A hundred. No, <laughs> I. I mean, I don't. I. Oof. There's no coming back for him. Yeah. I'm, I, and. I saw some article the other day I was reading about how Felix is starting to buy in a little bit to the analytical movement where he said, oh, well, the guys are telling me upstairs, you know, upstairs he's referring to the front office, that my curveball is my best pitch, so I should throw my curveball more. But the whole thing sounded like it was more lip service. I mean, I watched his first spring training start and, you know, you saw some quotes from the front office and I don't really like it when the front office like disparages their players because I don't I just it doesn't benefit anybody but somebody said it looked like Felix hadn't picked up a baseball since the end of last season yeah and it really showed it he didn't look good he didn't look sharp um no I I don't think they should cut Felix just because you know he is a franchise icon and whatever and maybe he does deserve to play out the end of his contract but at the same time I'm going to be really frustrated in July when they're still running him out there and there's you know more promising guys in the minors that could be eating up those innings, and at least seeing if you have anything, and you probably won't have anything. But a one percent chance of a guy coming into the majors and really surprising you, versus just knowing Felix is going to go out there and throw the same four and a half innings or four and two thirds innings and and not produce, is it's it's not something that anyone wants to see. And I think with the whole youth movement going forward, everyone is is bought into this now. No one really wants to see. I, as sad as it sounds, no one really wants to see Felix anymore. Everyone yeah. wants to get on to the next chapter of Mariners baseball.
0: Yeah, he he just he doesn't fit in. I mean, there's a few guys in this in this uh, roster that just you know square peg because of the the the, the kind of general build of the team. Uh, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, Felix, and, and Jay Bruce being being those guys. So so we'll see. There's definitely a lot of Felix fatigue, and it'll take a while for us to come back around and realize. Uh, how great he was during his prime, but as it pertains to the 2020 Mariners, 2019 Mariners, uh, things are, are not looking so good. But moving on from that uh, to talk about some of the new faces in the organization, uh, we have some some key ones here. We can start with Yusei Kikuchi uh, and go kind of on down the list there. But what have you seen out of Kikuchi? Because uh, it looks real good so far.
1: So the thing about him is, and again, I'm going to mention this thing called Statcast, and then a Statcast subsidiary is called PitchFX, which monitors basically, obviously, the miles per hour on your fastball, slider, curveball, whatever. But it also monitors your spin rates, and it monitors the vertical and horizontal movement of your pitches, and how, and it, and then also it monitors this thing called I'm I i can not remember if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but it monitors a thing called pitch tunneling which basically is, it's a fancy way to say how similar do your pitches look coming out off the arm until they start to do whatever they're going to do, whether it's going to slide away or cut in or whatever. And that's super important for deception purposes um, because you want the pitch looking exactly the same. Think of like, remember, Kazuhiro Sasaki, when he used to throw a forkball with the Mariners, everyone used to say it looks like a, a, a fastball right until it falls off the table and no one can hit it. So that. Is the the big thing that teams really are, proud are looking you at now? That's saying, like
0: the, for not saying uh, falls down the stairs instead of falls off the table there.
1: Yeah, yeah, there you go. But that's my little—I uh, don't know what what do you say? My little pithy way to say it. Um, but uh, do,
0: you, do, you, do you get my joke there? Or remember when Kazi, falls
1: off the stairs when
0: Kazi fell down the stairs? Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> he may or may not have been hammered. No, I did not catch that until Thank you for telling me. But yes, I now I remember. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. But, uh, yeah, so he's looked good. And, uh, I mean, the, the strikeout rate is there to show it. I think he struck out two guys in his first inning of work, uh, on Saturday or maybe that was Friday that he pitched. I can't remember, but, um, he's looked good. He has a really deceptive delivery. Everyone's, I mean, you you look at Twitter and you watch slow motions of his windup and stuff like that. He hides the ball for a really long time, which Mm -hmm. again, I mean, Eric could tell you, Eric was a former pitcher. Um, that the longer you hide the ball and you don't give the guy a good look at it, the easier it is to fool him. So I think he's got a lot of stuff going for him. Obviously the one thing that he has working against him is the fact that he's still adjusting to the major leagues. He's going to be facing a level of competition that he's never seen before. And he's probably going to have a couple outings where he gets rocked and he's going to have to adjust to that, you know, people. And the other thing is, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the last one, but the seams in the ball, in uh, in the major leagues are not as deep as the seams in the ball in uh, Japan where he was pitching so that causes the ball to break less and do funny things. so he's gonna have to adjust over to the ball too but I think right now the early prognostication is that he uh, he's looking he's looking every bit the the guy that they signed so that that's good news.
0: We had uh, we had a big moment obviously at his press conference that we talked about about how he just the, the M's needed him the most and that's why he he came to them his almost superhero origin story there. Uh, but the legend continues with his uh, with his first I don't know if it was first strikeout, but the strikeout of Joey Votto, where he made a very professional hitter look very unprofessional, um, and and things like that, I think you'll see often this year. And it you know it, for him the, the ERA the the overall success of him is is you know kind of almost moot this year. But his ability to get those outs and and to like you said to deceive and to kind of figure out how to get outs at the uh, at the big league level. Will be fun to watch. The, the Votto swing was was. Uh, Did you see what awesome. Votto said about him? Uh, he, he was he was impressed, but I forgot what he said directly.
1: Yeah, he said it looked like uh, he's he's seen very few curveballs that have ever looked like that, and he mentioned that Clayton Kershaw's curveball, which everyone right. you know that is the that is the defining pitch of Clayton Kershaw's career. That's his signature pitch. Uh, he said it looks very similar to that, if not you know even a little more advanced. So he's really got some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's just going to come down to maintaining that throughout the course of the year.
0: There was, uh, there was something that, that Scott Service was asked about yesterday. Like you said, uh, neither of us can remember when he pitched last. But after his last mm-hmm. start, um, where someone – I think he threw like 30 of 39 strikes. And someone asked, uh, did he throw too many strikes? And it took me uh, like two seconds to be like, well, what the hell are they talking about? But uh, can you explain why that might be an, an issue for Kikuchi to begin with or a new pitcher that, you know, yeah, that throwing that, too that many is strikes a... is a problem?
1: it can be a problem definitely because you i mean it's just it's uh let's say i'm gonna try and use an analogy here Mm, well i guess if you always know that the pitch is going to be a strike and it's always going to be in the strike zone you there's this thing called an o swing percentage that uh a lot of analytical front offices track where it's basically how many times can the pitcher get the guy to swing at a ball outside of the strike zone? And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that when the ball's outside the strike zone and the guy swings, the batting average is and the slugging percentage and the on base sure. and all that stuff just go it just plummets. So you don't want to be throwing too much in the strike zone, especially when you're in that one, two even the 2-2, two 0-2 two, oh two obviously counts because you don't want to give a guy, you don't want to let a guy accidentally run his bat into the ball. And you want to have, a, like we were talking about earlier, the deception factor of it is you don't want to always let them think, okay, I'm, I can swing here, I can swing here. It, you, have to, you have to mix it in and you have to throw some pitches away.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, of, of how he kind of figures out the, the other stuff because uh, the, the ability to, to throw the, you know, does it look like a big league pitch is there. Uh, but, you know, there's much more to being a, a major league pitcher than that. Uh, so we will see with with you say, Kikuchi. Why and play? real quick, that's sure.
1: where that's where, uh, the Zanino things I think is going to hurt the most. Mike Zanino was a really, really good maestro of like making sure pitchers were staying on their game plans and not throwing too many strike even or too many balls, obviously. But that's something that can kind of be out of the catcher's control if the pitcher just sucks. But um, yeah, he he was really good with that, with uh, ma- making sure there was a consistent game plan and the pitcher wasn't, you know, just plum- uh, pummeling the strike zone too much and he was mixing his stuff up and, and creating a lot of confusion for the hitters and not sequencing his pitches in the same way every single time to create a pattern.
0: A decent segue there from Mike Zanino to uh, to who Zanino was traded for was Malik Smith, uh, who we have not seen in spring training. Uh, But a guy that we have seen in in the outfield who might start there in center field where Malik Smith uh, may have started uh, is Domingo Santana, a guy that was picked up uh, in exchange for Ben Gamble. I don't know if we talked about that last time. It might have just We did.
1: I do remember we talked about that one.
0: Right, right. Talking about his upside a little bit. uh, This is a guy who had 30 home runs a couple of years ago. You were talking about StatCast. I think they had Domingo Santana as either the second or third fastest player on the M's. Uh, it was interesting to see there was an article for the Brewers talking about uh, when the Brewers and, and M's played in spring training the other day, uh, where Santana talked about what hit him last year and why he struggled so much. And this could you know, be all spin and whatever he wants to to use as the excuse for why that didn't happen. But uh, he hit a mental hurdle that he said happened after the Brewers acquired Christian Yellick and Lorenzo Cain. And all of a sudden he had to perform at a much higher level to, mm-hmm. to be on the field. Um, and he just never really responded to that. Baseball is a very big mental game. It's completely understandable. Uh, but it was quite a drop off from from the production of, of two years ago to last year. Uh, I kind of see this as it's just uh, it's so much more upside than what Ben Gamble was able to provide. And I think that's OK to, to have on a team like this.
1: Totally. So my coach in baseball, when I used to play in high school, and I was going through a slump or whatever, which I did often. I think I was in a perpetual slump, but uh, you you that's besides be, that's, yeah. that. That's besides the point. But um, he would, and he was a cool guy. I liked him. But he would always say that Are you, you don't beer? play base, you don't you don't play baseball on the diamond. You play baseball on the field that's six inches between your ears or whatever. And yeah, he was right. Baseball is the I think one of the more cerebral games there is. If you get into your own head too bad, it's like golf. You you just can't you can't do it anymore. And I think he probably was pressing a lot when they went out and acquired Yelich and uh, Kane, and he knew that his path to playing time was getting really really narrow and whatever. But he has at least it's not Ben Gamel, and I don't. There's nothing wrong with a player like Ben Gamel. But with Ben Gamble, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're mm-hmm. not getting any power. You're going to get a guy who slaps around some singles, has good uh, ball-to-bat skills, but is not going to be anybody that you're going to say, oh, this guy can be a franchise, not a cornerstone, but a, a really good regular on a on a contending team. Ben Gamble on a contending team is probably your fourth outfielder. Uh, Domingo Santana could be a really bad player again, but he also could be Uh, a franchise a franchise regular which is something that you want when you're rebuilding you want guys with higher upside and you'll accept the downside knowing that you can churn through your roster more easily when you're not contending so I think it was a really savvy move by the front office to get him and right now it looks like it's paying dividends he's you know in spring so far he's been really really on the ball and and both offensively and defensively so we'll have to just hope that that translates translates going forward.
0: Yeah, it'll be fun to see, see that happen. And, and uh, you know, VM's mm-hmm. lost an incredible uh, flipper of hair, uh, commercial star in in Ben Gamble, but uh, may have, have seriously upgraded in terms of the talent department with Santana. Uh, the last new face that we'll talk about uh, is Mr. Shed Long, who I found out uh, does not drink water, which is a little concerning. Uh, Wait,
1: I've not heard <laughs> this. You have to fill me in on this one. Yeah,
0: DePoto was talking on his podcast that, uh, that Shed Long uh, doesn't like the taste of water. Um, there so. is no
1: taste of water. Water <laughs> doesn't taste like anything. Exactly.
0: That's why it pisses him off, right? He needs he needs more from his from what he's all investing right. he's, in his life.
1: He's a man of variety. Actually. Yeah.
0: So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a definitely a peculiar start, but uh, but Shedlong was definitely a guy that we hadn't talked about. Um, they traded Josh Stowers, who was a, an outfield prospect, uh, which the M's have plenty of. So I think that move made sense for a guy in Shedlong who could really play uh, all the way across the infield.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing that they're uh, that's the thing that they're trying to do with him. I always get a little bit hesitant when you know you take a guy who's been at second base his whole uh, minor league career, and now you're gonna say, well, I guess he was a catcher really, really early on, but now you're trying to I think what Depoto said was trying to turn him into a Mark McLemore type, mm-hmm. which is to say move him from left field to right field to third base to uh, second base to even potentially filling in at shortstop a little bit. And I understand the thought process there because uh, that versatility is something that every team is coveting right now, which is why I thought the whole thing with Marwin Gonzalez, not getting a contract for a really long time was pretty ridiculous. But you look at the Dodgers, they have guys like that. The Cardinals have Jed Jorko, uh, Marwin Gonzalez with the twins. Everyone wants a guy who can play. I mean, it's, it's funny to me the analytical thing because a lot of the the stuff that the analytics have confirmed are all things that you know you sort of know innately but yeah it turns out it's good that you have a guy who can play lots of positions I I mean but that that's kind of where they're at with that yeah yeah the um
0: the, the continuing about what DePoto said about Shed Long he said that he was his most called about prospect he was uh, con- consistently harassing uh the Reds and Yankees whoever whoever uh, possessed his talents at, at at some point to um to see about whether they could fit him in. And I, that begs the question of how many, uh, Google voice slash burner phone numbers do you think Jerry DePoto has, uh, because he's been blocked <laughs> from other people's phones.
1: He's got, he's got to have like that, uh, what do they call the voice over IP thing? Where like <laughs> yeah, exactly. trace sends your call through like Monaco and then back to them. So it can't yeah. be traced. But that, I think honestly, I, I like shed long, but, um, that's a, that's one of those Jerry spin things where, you know, I don't know if you read the article, but uh, they were talking about J.P. Crawford and it said, uh, well, I had everyone try and reimagine the roster and what it's going to look like going forward. And everybody had J.P. Crawford on their roster even before we had him. It was one of those things, you know, where it's like, yeah, he's it's good that he likes, you know, to talk up his players. But I think I think that's probably more of the, the patented spin we've seen, which is not a bad thing.
0: Yeah. And he gets the opportunity to have that because he has a podcast and. And uh, can kind of plug his uh, his spin directly into the fans' brains, but uh, yeah, we're
1: uh, how do you feel about directly competing with the wheelhouse right now? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to get the inside edge somehow.
0: I think uh, I think Jerry Depoto cheats on on uh, stump JD. I'm gonna say that. that yeah, way. I agree. Those questions are really hard. Why would why would he ever allow stump JD to happen if he wasn't gonna gonna cheat like that? Because he – like, Goldsmith is asking stuff of like – first of all, I'm going to try and work on my my Aaron Goldsmith impersonation, but give me a few weeks. Yeah, he's got a really smooth
1: voice. If you can get a good impersonation of him, then you can go on – you can make any podcast you want. Yeah,
0: that's very true. Um, But he's always like, uh, who – did Satchel Paige uh, switch gloves with in the fifth inning of the nineteen forty-two <laughs> World
1: Series? It is. It's like the most esoteric knowledge. <laughs> he doesn't even. He doesn't even like bad night. He's like, oh yeah, that was uh, rusty. Whatever. Yeah, it's like, yeah. 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 I think he cheats too. Yeah,
0: I think they. I think they set it up, and they do a really good job of acting because. again. Are we
1: truthers? Are we truthers?
0: I'm down with it. I'm, All
1: right.
0: You know what? You don't. You don't get anywhere unless you ruffle some feathers here so there you go uh yeah jerry depota cheats um but yeah i think that sometimes the the tampa bay rays will answer calls and it just sounds like one of the voiceovers in like gangland where it's just like hello uh and then like jerry and he's like yeah fine Um, but anyways that's that's enough about the new guys uh all of which are exciting but we don't know if any of them um are going to be actually good or just just spring training promising uh, which is a good segue into this last point of of our first segment here, the third out of really trying to figure out what this team is because it it's it's the it's the PR just wasteland right now, right? Every spring right. training situation can be spun one way, even if a guy's not hitting well. It's well, just wait till the season starts. You know, he looks good in the cage, uh, and, and flip the other way, and and we have no
1: real. And that's not, that's not just a a Mariners thing. I always try and bring like, you know, that's,
0: that's a league wide thing. Every team talks
1: themselves into every player being the next coming of Mike Trout, no matter what. So that's not just us. So take comfort in that.
0: So from my perspective, there is no real reason for this team uh, talent wise. I mean, you're, you're looking at somewhere around, I don't know, mid seventies in wins at the best. There's no reason for this team to push it farther than that if it looks like this could be a maybe contender if they make a few acquisitions. Uh, They've done so much this offseason to build up this farm system that that mortgaging that now doesn't make a ton of sense. So I just figured that this team is going to be interesting, but I wouldn't count on the success of it whatsoever.
1: Yeah, so um, the thing with the Mariners is where they're at right now is they're kind of in that weird place. They're in baseball's middle class, you know? Mm. And um, I guess it's kind of like America's middle class too. It's rapidly <laughs> shrinking, you yes. know? It's <laughs> Yeah, not to get too political here, <laughs> but like there's no one who wants to be – well. I, there's no one in the middle yeah. class anymore. But, um, you know, you got a couple teams. You have like us, the Padres, the Twins, the Pirates. But really – there's not a lot of teams who are going to be thinking, oh, we'll probably win 74, 75 games this year. It's either let's tear it down or let's really go for it. And that's kind of what you're seeing across the board. And I mean, I guess a lot of sports, but um, that's that's where the Mariners are. And I think that's not a horrible place to be considering uh, what went on this offseason. You know, mm-hmm. get it, we talked about it at length in the last podcast, if you want to go listen back to that. So I won't, I won't dwell on that for too long, but um, – this is going to be a team, and I'm, I'm just guessing here, they're going to be going into the trade deadline in July, and they're probably going to be, I don't know, anywhere from five to ten games back from a wild card spot. And there's going to be a small contingent of fans who are going to say, well, you're only five games back. Why don't you go and do this or that? Why are you selling? And the reason they're selling is because every year you see it, there's always a clump of teams. In, the, in in contention in July, and without fail, it always ends up being two or three teams left remaining mm-hmm. at the end of the year. And I think the Mariners are smart enough to realize this year, even if they're, whatever, two, three games behind in July, that's not necessarily going to mean let's go for it now. I think they're going to stay disciplined with what they have building because what they have building is somewhat promising. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think a good analogy for, for how I can think about this is what happened with the Atlanta Hawks this year. And the Atlanta Hawks, uh, for all intents and purposes, looked like they were going to be to be miserable at the beginning of the season and then even before it started. Based off of the moves that they had made, they would kind of stripped it down to the studs and relied a lot on young players. And over the course of a season, that's you know going to hurt you a lot. Uh, however, the, the Hawks have really exceeded expectations. And while they are nowhere near a playoff spot, nor do they want to be, uh, you can look at their season as a success based off of kind of some qualitative indicators uh, that, you know, you've seen progress in young players and that's what this team is going to be. And I think that that gives me an idea for one of our our next pods here before the season actually starts is kind of creating a new scorecard for what this What we would consider this to be a successful season. Yeah,
1: what qualifies as a success? Because watching wins and losses this year is probably not the right way. I mean, enjoy the Mariners whatever way you want. I'm not going to yell at anyone for wanting to watch the team win. I mean, that's the point of watching sports is Mm. wanting to see your team do well. But I think there needs to be a little dose of reality that the team, you're probably going to be disappointed if you're watching this year solely based on the wins and losses.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like we said before, there's, you know, there's different layers to look at this, uh, kind of the, you know, from single a on up rookie ball on up of, uh, of how this team is doing and how this organization is doing. Um, and kind of getting some of these guys that are, you know, the, that for instance, to be promised of, of, of years future, the Evan whites, the world, the Kyle Lewis is the world. How are they doing? Uh, that matter just as much about, um, you know, mm-hmm. how, how many innings Felix went last night. So, uh, so we'll track that, and that's uh, that's uh, kind of all we'll talk about for um, for the for the current M storylines. We'll get back into some of the you know the future stuff in a bit. Uh, but let's go quickly around the league. Uh, this will be our next segment that we'll do. We'll we'll spend a few minutes each week talking about something else that's happening outside of the Mariners and in baseball. I
1: think that's important to do because. We can be as myopic as we want with the Mariners, but you have to look at what's going on outside. Even, and I'm a diehard baseball fan. Even I won't watch, a, uh, let's say, the Reds playing the Cubs on like Sunday night. I probably won't watch it because I don't care. Mm-hmm. But watching big-picture storylines and seeing how they develop and seeing other teams I think is worth time for even people who only care about the Mariners.
0: Yeah, definitely. And seeing the success of, of organizations like – The Houston Astros, for example, if you had ignored what they've been doing for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. uh, And can we
1: talk about that really quick, the Astros thing, where you texted me, uh, you know, oh, Jerry Depoto said by 2021, you know, the Astros aren't going to be in as good of a position. (laughs) But then you texted me, they have two top 10 uh, uh, um, prospects coming up and they have, I think, a top 10 farm system overall. And that's something I kind of want to talk about later, maybe in a different podcast, but why player development? Is probably the next frontier uh, of of being a really great general manager if you can just keep churning out these guys consistently, which mm-hmm. the Astros seem like they're doing. But we can talk about that in another time.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Depoto. You know, again, spin. you can you can sell this this fan base on being able to uh, to imagine you know greener pastures in a few years when when the Red Sox suck again and the Yankees won't be as good. Uh, but All you have to do is just think a little bit harder to realize that that's not quite as easy as it'll be. But Mm -hmm. um, looking around the league, the two big storylines are two big signings uh, that happened with free agents in Manny Machado and and Bryce Harper, uh, both getting huge deals. Uh, Machado got what, eight for three hundred, ten
1: 10 for three hundred,
0: ten 10 for 300. And then uh, Harper got 13 for 330. Uh, They went in that order. I think it was a calculated thing by Scott Boris uh, to go second. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. And then that's just when Machado got his money. That's just a, another launching point for Boris to go get more for Bryce. Although the interesting thing with that is I've heard that Boris and the guy who represents Machado are not very good friends. They don't like each other. I don't so think maybe there Boris has a ton of friends. No, yeah, basketball. he doesn't strike me as a guy yeah. who's really amenable, easy to get along with. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, so, so I guess real quick, uh, of those two, I mean, first of all, are those two deals good deals? Because the M's have uh, a pretty interesting perspective on that, given that we kind of had to bail out halfway through the Robinson Cano mm-hmm. 10 for 240, um, which was signed five years ago. Um, so, you know, seeing how that has played halfway through, it's easy to say, well, this isn't going to work out. Um, but that might be a little short-sighted. I mean, we, we got five, well, four and a half, really solid seasons around Robinson Cano.
1: Right, and then the thing that you also have to um, understand is that when they got rid of Robinson Cano, yeah, it was just, a lot of it was a salary dump, but they wouldn't have been able to kickstart their rebuild without, I know Diaz was the main piece that was attractive to the Mets, obviously, but Cano still has value. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he's a, a bad baseball player anymore. He's not as good as his contract would dictate, but he's still good enough to produce. So it's not... It's not like the Mariners got nothing and they just had to eat the rest of Cano's contract.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that the Pujols deal would be an example of something that really didn't
1: Gone work Gone really out. wrong.
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, but that and was there's science.
1: always the risk of that. But um, these deals, the 10 for 300 and the 13 for three, I really like that. I think the Phillies got really creative on that 13 for 330 mm-hmm. because you look at that, you do the math. That's only $25 million a year. Only $25 million a year, I know, whatever. But, yeah, it's only $25 million a year. Uh, that, that, I mean, every team says, oh, there's no salary cap, but every owner is going to go and say, you're not telling the GM, you're not spending past the luxury tax for more than a year. Mm-hmm. Because once you spend past the luxury tax for more than a year, the, uh, every dollar over the tax just escalates and escalates and escalates. And you can go poor pretty quickly doing that. Not that many teams are poor, but, um, no owner is going to be willing to shell out that dough for too long. Um, it's, Um, but I think that there's,
0: there's two different filters for this and it, 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 the, the Phillies doing what they did and the Padres doing what they did are, are for two different reasons. And I like, I kind of like both of them. Uh, the Phillies recognize that they have a very thin window and realize that they had to pay a lot to capitalize on this by, you know, you go out and get real Muto and Gene Segura relatively cheap. Um, you have this, this kind of dearth of of talent outside of Rice Hopkins, but you you know have a good infrastructure. You like what you have with Gabe Kapler, and you say, okay, we're going to basically pay a back tax so that we can we can make sure that we don't f this up now. Whereas with San Diego, their farm system is just loaded, and so they're they're mm-hmm. not, probably not even expecting to be in the 80 90 win range for a couple of years. But they're basically saying, while we have a Manny Machado player in his prime, which we don't get. If, if otherwise, you know, we're the Padres. We can't acquire this player very often. Uh, we all of this talent is going to rise up, and we have Manny Machado. Um, so I, I kind of liked it. From yeah, both I kids. really,
1: I really like it for the Padres. I mean, uh, the Padres have been in this rebuild ever since the general manager AJ Preller took over. But what better way to really cap off a rebuild than putting one of the best five players in baseball on your team for the next? He's going to be the, one of the best five players in baseball for the next five six years. And yeah, you're probably going to end up paying a premium over the last three or four years, but you're getting the best, one of the best players in baseball to go along with this really, really talented young core that you have. What better way to really put the final touches on it than that? I, I thought that was a, a wonderful move for them and, and they were in a, in, a, in a good place to do it as well.
0: Yeah. And the Padres have the, the luxury of an opt-out clause halfway through Machado's contract, which uh, is not, does not exist in Bryce Harper's contract. Uh, right. So they can kind of be more flexible with this. And, and I, I, I honestly, I mean, what what odds would you put uh, that Harper or Machado finish these contracts as Phillies or Padres?
1: I mean, it's really hard. I would say probably less than 30% just because you look 13 years from now. Yeah. 13 years from now, baseball might not even exist. Who <laughs> we, knows what's we going to we'll go 40, on 13 yeah. years from now. Yeah. Um, It's just really hard to say that anything 13 years from now is going to be the same as it is today. I mean, he could get bad. He could get hurt. He could retire. He could just say, you know, I have enough money. I'm done. Or he could get traded because the Phillies aren't in the same uh, window of contention that they were. The Padres might decide that, you know, they're in a better place without Machado. So I would say, I mean, anytime any of these guys sign these long-term contracts, it's really hard to move the contract, but somehow it always seems like it gets done. You had Cano's contract get moved. You had uh, Adrian Gonzalez's contract get moved. So a lot hey, of these Rod, guys yeah. who sign these these mega deals, they 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 don't end up staying with the team. And and Carl Crawford was another one. Um, so yeah, I I wouldn't say the odds are very high, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth the signing right now. No, definitely not.
0: And and yeah, you you have to fork up if you want to if you want to get talent, and if you're you're philly or san diego i think you realize that uh you know this is a part of a larger plan with with philly you know the the mike trout uh you know homecoming rumors are out there Mm -hmm. um so so we'll see how this goes and and, uh, i hate
1: to say it but i saw a mike trout thing where they said the angels preliminary offer to him was 10 years and 350 million dollars and my first reaction was nope that's about half of what he should get
0: (laughs) nope yeah he's a 50 million dollar player yeah, um, yeah, so and he loves the Eagles, so yeah, we, we he's a Jersey guy. We will, uh, I'm, I'd be happy to get him out. The hell, man, of
1: that would LL be West. so nice if he got out of the
0: division! <laughs> oh, so nice, yeah. Um, all right, let's let's move on uh, to a, a, another segment here. Uh, we had this budgeted for about five minutes, so I'm gonna have you give the abridged version here. But the segment okay. is called Let's Get Smarter. This will be Phil. Uh, putting on his his uh, would you wear a monocle? or Would you wear bifocals? Do you think to, to I,
1: I think some nice reading glasses, probably, okay. while I like stare down pretentiously.
0: Some Geppettos? as as they yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Phil is going to put on his 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 reading glasses to explain a concept in baseball, in in sabermetrics, and uh, statistical analysis, whatever he wants to talk about that week, uh, to teach us a little bit about something that that is becoming a bigger and bigger element of the game. This week is WRC plus. A fun little stat that is very easy to uh, to analyze uh, once you know what goes into it, and just the simple zero to two part of it is my favorite part. But explain it for uh, for for the rest of us.
1: Okay, so WRC plus is is a really easy stat to consume, which is why I like it so much because it's based on a zero to one or a zero to two hundred scale, basically. So a hundred WRC plus means that the player is a league average hitter. But I don't want people to get confused by that because a league average hitter at every different position is means an entirely different thing. A league average hitter at catcher is an all-star catcher, Mm -hmm. but a league average hitter in right field is probably just an okay player. Um, But zero to 200, 100 being average. And the way that this is calculated is kind of almost like slugging percentage. They basically put weights on every at bat. When you don't get a hit, it's a zero. When you get a walk, it's like 0.69. When you get a uh, single, I think it's like 0.88. And then you get a double, it's like 1.6, and a triple's like two, and a home run's like 2.3, 2.4, whatever. And every, and then you divide it by the total number of uh, plate appearances they have, and then you add it all up. And then you adjust. The important part here is you also have to adjust for the park. A lot of times people say, oh, Nolan is not that good because his stats are inflated by course field or um whatever you know maybe you think that uh players are a lot better than they are because they're playing in stadiums i don't know but each park has a park rating and then they have to adjust from there to get to your wrc plus and so 100 being average 200 is like mike trout zero is a guy who's not going to be playing anymore (laughs) so that's uh that that and it's and you you kind of do the math in your head and it's basically just linear weights. It's a weighted average. And you think that's a lot like slugging percentage. And it is a lot like slugging percentage. But the numbers are more refined in their – how do you say? Their co uh, – what's that statistical term? Their co- coordination or the way they the way they move with like player performance is more correlated. They're more closely correlated with player yeah. performance. Yeah, I,
0: I liked it and I obviously seen it but didn't really know what was going in – uh, behind it, and so for some perspective, there you talk about 100 is is the baseline. Um, Mitch Hanneker led the led the M's last year with a with a WRC plus of 138. Nelson Cruz was above 34. Gene Segura was 111. So those are your uh, three players above league average. There, Ryan Healy was next at 90. Uh, this will. But be-
1: you see that Ryan Healy, the position he plays. If you're not, he plays first base. If he's not at least a league average hitter at first base, you're definitely a detriment to the team. Sure.
0: Uh, And like you said, last year, Mike Trout was 191 uh, for WRC Plus. Mookie Betts right behind him at 185. Um, So, you know, it's always a good stat when uh, the eye test matches the the number there. Um, So any hitting stat that puts Mike Trout at the top uh, is is a good one and understands uh, what's what's important. Uh, Quick question for you here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which uh, which Mariner and which seasons? That's kind of a tough one. Uh, I should have okay. done the stump JD here of where I feed you the answer oh, beforehand. Yeah. Uh, which Mariner season was the best WRC plus in team history?
1: Oh, it's got to be Dustin Ackley two thousand. No, I'm <laughs> um, I'm going to go with um, I. It's hard because I I want to say either it's I know it's one of two players. It's either Edgar or Ken Griffey, right? You are correct. Okay, um, I'm gonna go with. I know this is gonna sound surprising. I think it's probably Edgar. I don't think it's Griffey.
0: It is Edgar. Uh, okay. Get shot in the dark for the year. Uh,
1: 1998. Yeah,
0: uh, 95, the double year. Oh shit. Uh, but okay. yeah, Edgar put up a 182 that year. Um, was his best year. Griffey and him basically split the top five seasons in M's history for this. But yeah, I, I like WRC plus a lot. It's it's when you know, you looking at all these slash lines and different different numbers, it's nice to have something, as you said. One single number, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. R24 is similar, but I think WRC Plus um, is almost easier to understand just because of using the numbers that it does. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep track of that and, and uh, look forward to this segment every week. Uh, moving on to another one is our step back for a second. As we talk about the M's efforts to step back uh, and to get better in the long term, um, give us briefly who've been your, your top three most exciting prospects. Uh, and from my perspective, no one has really disappointed as a prospect in, in spring training.
1: No. Um, my top three, I'm number one, I guess I'll start with number one. Cause you want to go first best. Um, Kyle Lewis yeah. has been just like, and not even that. I mean, he's hit three home runs and that's great. And he has, you know, he's made good contact and all of that. But the fact that he's out there stealing bases, looking healthy, uh, running around, playing center field, which is huge because his bat, if you have to move him to left field or right field, loses a lot. He loses a lot of value. He, if he wants to be a really good everyday major league player, like I think everyone hopes that he will be, you really, really, really wish that he would stick in center field, which right now it looks preliminarily like he's going to do. But that knee injury that he had a couple of years ago was so catastrophic. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought, you know, he might not be long for the position, but he looks like he's bounced back really well. So, outside of all of his numbers, throw all his numbers away, which have been good, but um, yeah, just the fact that he's out there healthy is is a huge sign for the Mariners. And I, I I'm really interested to see how he comes along and develops this year. Yep.
0: So, um, so, so yeah. yeah, with Kyle Lewis. Um, yeah, I mean, this is his first spring training, and he's three years into into baseball because of that injury. So right, um, yeah, it
1: was that, it was pretty horrifying. Injury. Yeah,
0: to have him out there, to have him, you know, looking like he belongs as a top tier prospect again is is huge, huge for the M's. But who's who's your number two?
1: Okay, Evan White.
0: Okay, nice he's, guy. He's Evan been White.
1: yeah, he's been he's been really really good this spring too. He, I I think we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. By the way, we keep mentioning the last podcast. If you haven't heard this and you're interested in the Mariners, you should probably go listen to the. The series, the season preview, but um, just because we keep mentioning it. But uh, he's he, he's one of those guys who's found a lot of power in his stroke, and he was one he was more of a line drive gap to gap guy, but he's starting to hit the ball with a little more authority now, which is what the coaching staff was really focusing on with him. And I guess I like him because he is kind of uh, sort of the symbol of this Mariners regime. They take a guy who they see has a certain skill that they really like a lot. And they think, hey, we can build the other pieces around him. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, and it actually becomes a success, it gives you a little bit more confidence that the front office really has a plan that they know how to execute. Yeah,
0: you talked about it earlier how player development will be will be kind of the next wave here, and, and uh, a sign of a of a strong organization. I think the the M's would love to take a guy like Evan White and use that as their 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 bastion of of their player development abilities to turn him. Like you said, from a from a line drive hitter to a real um real, you know, power threat from, from the first base position because for all accounts defensively we're talking about a perennial gold glove type player.
1: Right, right.
0: Who do you got, number three?
1: I would say oh, it's the guy we were talking about, uh, Jake Fraley. Remember? He was the guy that they got as kind yes. of the throwing piece. Yeah. He's actually looked really good this spring. He runs around, he hits the ball well. I, I really I think he's been doing a really good job.
0: Nothing for Justice Sheffield who looks absolutely nice. Yeah, I
1: like Justice, but I would I would say Justice is what was already more of a known entity when okay. he came over. You know, I kind of I kind of hoped that he would be something. I I mean, I I guess uh I shouldn't be doing this, but I kind of counted on him already being a good player, which mm-hmm. yeah, I shouldn't be doing that, but I I kind of assumed that he was at least going to be A guy where, you know, his stuff's going to play well and he's going to be able to, you know, put it together at least for a short while.
0: Yeah. A guy who's appeared in big games uh, in in his short career already. And and uh, we'll probably start in Tacoma, but we'll be a part of this team very shortly. Um, Absolutely. So we'll we'll spend more time talking about those types of guys in the future. Real quick, uh, your ex-Mariner of the week.
1: Ex-Mariner and current Mariner, can I do that one?
0: <laughs> yeah, do it.
1: Okay, it's it's Ackley. Yeah, Ack Yeah, I mean, I I I understand when I was in actually a, I was at a wedding when the Mariners signed Dustin, and uh, I understand because I, I got my phone got flooded with texts like oh ha ha Dustin Ackley the Mariners <laughs> are a joke blah blah blah, and yeah it's nothing that I haven't heard ten thousand times before, but the optics on it were just so bad it's like i don't can't you just find somebody else yeah i mean he's he's gonna be a perfectly fine he's probably gonna go to triple a and it's got everything's gonna be fine and he's not the worst player in the world but it's god it's just like it brings back so many bad memories for so many people that maybe you should have just probably found somebody else to to man that position
0: yeah it's it's funny how that all worked out and obviously different different organizations different regimes different needs uh but like you said for a guy that's not going to do anything for you um, there's plenty of guys like that. And so to 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 signal to the fan base that you're in any way uh going back down that road, uh which hurt us all so deeply, uh is is it's I mean it's not quite tone deaf because it really doesn't matter. Uh but like you said, anyone else uh to fill that position would have would have probably been more sage. Uh right. I, had, I had a couple of different ones. First of all, James Paxton is uh doing a good thing as a prospective New York Yankee of not pissing anyone off. I think you kind of have to nail your spring training uh, there before, right. before they eat you alive. Let him, uh, let him give up a solo home run to Mookie Betts uh, and, and implode before, before I'm
1: worried about him though. I'm not worried about him in his performance, but I'm worried about him as like how he seems like a very cool, just like reserved guy. I'm worried about him having to deal with like the New York, drama you know I, th- I
0: think he'll be like he's just gonna completely change who he is as a person like he's just gonna be some like swaggy wearing aviators all the time start wearing timberlands <laughs> yeah yeah he'll just he'll just forget where he's from and like completely ditch the big maple now he's like the big slice or something like that <laughs> uh, like, the big slice like. <laughs> just completely reinvents himself and now he's just a huge d-bag uh anyways his catcher for spring training called him the real deal and uh, he's nailing his PR thing, but uh, a guy who is just incredible, Gene Segura would be my my true ex-Mariner of the week, uh, got asked about his time in Seattle. Uh, Gene Segura said, I don't like to fight, referencing the uh, the fight between him and D Gordon that definitely, right. definitely happened. Uh, he says, I'm cool. I'm a great guy. Maybe social media says different, or you guys may be talking about the media, but if you get comfortable and talk to me about it, you'll see I'm a different type of guy. Uh, any guy who says I'm a great guy is not a great guy. And- it's
1: like it's like when people say, "I, my, what's your best trait?" Well, I'm just so humble. Like, right. If you're a humble person, you don't say how <laughs> humble you are. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what his deal was, and frankly, I don't really know how much it matters in baseball to be a good guy. Mm. Um, You see a lot of guys who weren't good guys who were really good for teams, and probably every team would like to have them. Um, Addison Russell is not a good guy. I bet every team would like to have Addison Russell. So I don't really understand. uh, I I guess no one really understands how much. Like in football and basketball, you know, you're passing the ball to each other. You have to have at least some semblance of a relationship. Baseball is a one-on-one sport. So I don't know. I don't. I'm not going to miss, I guess I'm, I'll miss his production, but I'm not going to miss the drama that came along with it.
0: Right. Gene Segura's problems only manifested when uh, the team was absolutely in the cellar. And so that's, that's a very good point of that winning is a great crucible um, or losing is a great crucible for, for things like that. Uh, I mean, Manny Machado, all accounts, not a great guy, uh, right. But just signed for, for $30 million a year over, over, over a span of 10 years. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. But the Segura thing—it's—it is—it's just so funny. And you know, my interview with Marco Gonzalez, uh, Marco had yeah, a, kind of,
1: <laughs> kind of all but confirmed that. Didn't yeah,
0: it? yeah, pretty good subtweet about what what that offseason meant to him, um, talking about how well it was, you know, really showed you what type of guy we wanted here. Um, and I don't think he was talking about James Paxton in that in that sense there. So no, <laughs> uh, we will see how that plays out, and hopefully, I don't know what I'm rooting for with Segura. I kind of hope that. Um, that the Phillies are interesting because that would make baseball better. Um, That that division, I'll tell you what, that division the
1: NL East is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Every team, I guess you can't even count the Marlins as a real major league team. Hey, you know what? The Mariners have been bad for the last 20 years, but I will take the Mariners over what the Marlins have done over the last 20 years. (laughs) The amount of just like pain that they have caused their fans and suffering has just been like unbelievable. I saw this uh, chart where it went every it took the Marlins all-time 20, 20 most uh, war getting players and it showed what happened to them 18 out of the 20 players <laughs> on their all-time war list have been traded
0: <laughs> that's inc- I I'm trying to think of who wouldn't have been on there but yeah that's... very
1: sadly very sadly Jose Fernandez but that's because he passed oh, away so it's only then, one uh, guy who didn't actually And then uh, actually the other one away. was AJ Beckett who left in free agency goodness that's so yeah. bad so bad. Um,
0: and yeah, ugh, gross. Uh, what was your favorite hot take that you heard at your, uh, at your mom's wedding in, in Mexico?
1: And, so and yeah, the, the, the wedding, my mom has, my mom is an older lady as many moms are. So she has older friends that are, you know, anywhere from 50 to probably 70 years old. And, you know, that 50, that contingent of people who are like 50 to 70 years old, a lot of them are very like stuck in, like, don't really care to like, you know, they, they understand things the way they understand them, which is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they just kind of, that's the way they understand things. But um, the best, probably the best take that I got from uh, one of my mom's friends was that Bryce Harper Was not worth his contract. And this is, by the way, I was at the wedding before Bryce Harper signed his contract, but we were discussing where we think he was going to go and all that. Bryce Harper is not worth his contract because he cares more about his hair than he does about playing baseball.
0: Interesting thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, He does have nice hair, but I, I, I just, I don't see the... I don't see the, the, the correlation between those two things.
0: And then she finished her, her sentence by saying, and that's why Kyle Seeger is a $30 million player. This is my on it." <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Se- Seeger, he doesn't have to worry about it. He just gets to go to the ballpark. It's like those restaurants that have like Hotmail emails, you know? Yes. They have You know they're always going to have the best food because they can't be bothered to update to like Gmail or anything. Yeah, they They just have to focus on the food and just the whatever else doesn't matter.
0: That's that's goes with my theory of uh you can't rule out a two-star Yelp restaurant because they it might just be that they really don't give a shit about all the other things that go into a Yelp reading.
1: Totally. Like they're not like gaming the system trying to like write back to reviews and give people free stuff to take their reviews down. They just they're focused on their work.
0: Exactly, exactly. So that's why most dominoes are you can't rule them out, right? They're they're they're, they're not lost causes yet. Uh last segment here, and we'll try, we'll include all of our segments so that people get a taste of them. No skipping stuff, even if this goes a little bit long. Uh, I named this one the Yellow Hydro of the week. I picked Yellow Hydro my entire life, unwaver uh, or un. un uh, I don't know. I never never wavered from from that selection. Why the yellow one? I think it's who's because... the spon-
1: is the, is the sponsor of the yellow one always been consistent or is it a different sponsor? Every I don't year? think
0: they've had, well maybe yeah the the Comcast was on the you know, boy Alberto beef jerky one. Um, yeah, I don't know, but the, the yellow hydro. I just remember one year there was like a radio commercial that was like, and no one picks the yellow hydro or something like that. I was like, I picked the yellow hydro, so that really like emboldened my, my yeah, my that stance. like
1: entrenched you into like your mindset that you're the yellow hydro guy,
0: exactly. So, I've always been yellow hydro, yellow hydro is the best, uh, and that will signify our, our mariner of the week. Uh, this can be given ironically, can be given uh, based on merit. Uh, however you wanted to uh, bestow the Yellow Hydro, you can do it at your own whim. It's up to you. It's, mm-hmm. your, it's your Hydro. Uh, who would you give the Yellow Hydro to this week?
1: I am giving the Yellow Hydro to Andy McKay. Do you know who Andy McKay is?
0: He is a coach.
1: Yes, he is a coach and the basically the manager of, uh, of uh, player development. He is the general manager of player development the guy who takes guys and he moves them through the system his way. And I really, really like what he's been doing lately with the team. He came over from the Rockies. So he developed Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman and all those guys. And you're starting to see the dividends pay off here with guys like Evan White, Kyle Lewis, you know, he's got new, young, fresh talent to work with, with Kelenic and uh, Julio Rodriguez. And I think, more than anyone, even maybe more than Jerry Depoto, he might be the most important piece to turning the franchise around.
0: Hmm, interesting. Uh, that's that's a good one. You could also give it to Perry Hill, uh, who is yeah, who has yeah. somehow made it into every single article about the Mariners talking about. Um, and their success of the infield this year due to new coach Perry Hill, who I think is basically just D. Gordon's boy.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he, him and D. Gordon are just like best friends, apparently.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, that's one way to do it. Um, I would give the Yellow Hydro of the Week either to Kyle Lewis for all the reasons we talked about before, uh, who has basically just found luggage at this point. Um, it would have been um, not unreasonable to kind of just cast uh, his career might be in complete jeopardy after what happened to him a few years ago. Uh, and so to get what we've got out of him is, is been awesome. Uh, but I think I'm going to give it to Jerry Depoto because right now Jerry is in just absolute backstroke. Uh, this is his, his time because he can say whatever he wants and nothing matters. And it's all about PR. And, uh, I want to celebrate the, uh, the PR warlock that is Jerry Depoto and give him the, uh, the inaugural yellow hydro.
1: Hey, having good, having good cheerleaders, uh, it, during a downtime, is very important. You got to keep the morale high.
0: Control the narrative. Yeah, it's it's exactly. uh, it's it's hard, and when, when you don't do it yourself, then it's left to uh, to the Seattle Times to do it. And mm-hmm. Certainly don't want to do that. Um, all right, this was great, man. We we stayed kind of on time. Um, we got through every segment. Well, we're gonna include some stuff as we get on. Um, some some inside jokes will certainly develop. Uh, but uh, but good 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 first outing here.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm really excited to be able to do this with you. And, and we were talking about it a little bit, just being able to watch the Mariners and, and think about something in a in a bigger sense than like, oh, I have to go watch Felix Hernandez go get shelled again today. But instead, we get to think about, oh, what does this mean? How can we how can we talk about this? How, what does it mean going forward? What are all the little ramifications here? And it's a really, really interesting and, and fun way to look at the team. And I'm really excited for Eric to be calling in on these shows because I'm <laughs> I'm so, so happy that he's going to be able to call me a nerd for, you know, however long he gets the chance to do it for.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to leave a uh, voicemail number open for Eric to call in at any time, <laughs> and we can just insert his uh, his clips in, into the podcast. So that'll be fun. I think this is akin to uh, in some of those glorious, like, 70 and 90 seasons uh, that DMs had in the, the late aughts uh, when they would, like, win the first series against the Twins and, and beat, beat – uh, johan santana and the first first start that seemed to happen like for five years in a row Uh, yeah it
1: always felix was like i think felix had like some crazy streak where he was like undefeated for like 10 straight years on opening day
0: yeah that's us we're we're opening day guys and then we'll just collapse as the season goes on we'll be on the dl at some point (coughs) it's inevitable but uh but at least we had this this was fun and let's do it again
1: next week i'll see you next week all right man take it easy all right take care